This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. So it's uh, Pat O'Keefe and for the guys tonight and the rest of the week on this uh, rainy, thunderstormy night in New York City. Still raining outside my window. Mets game suspended. You heard Larry Hardesty mention that before the end of his show. I'll have more on that in a moment. Yankees right now. Big game for the Yankees again. I mean, when you dig yourself the hole that the Yankees did earlier this season, and yes, they are playing much better lately. They are all big games, but right now the Yankees and the uh, Royals are tied at three in the sixth inning. Opportunity for the Yankees to pick up some ground one way or another because the Rays and the Red Sox are beginning a three-game series themselves, and they're tied at four in the eighth inning. And as I speak, DJ LeMayhew, a two-out RBI single into right field, puts the Yankees back on top 4-3. to three. So the Yankees have had a 3-2 to two lead tonight, and then Kansas City tied it at 3, and now they lead 4-3. to three. We'll see if it's a repeat of last night when the Yankees blew not one, not two. I sound like LeBron James here. Not three, but four save opportunities last night, but still ended up prevailing 8-6 to six in the series opener in Kansas City. So Yankees win tonight. They know they're gaining ground on either the Red Sox or the Rays tonight. Unless, of course, what happened in Queens happens in Boston. Now here's what happened at City Field. Because I'm watching this too. The Mets are trailing Nationals 3-1 to one in the top of the second inning. Game's just getting underway. It started raining pretty heavily in the bottom of the first inning. Uh, game begins predictably, lately anyway, for the Mets. Juan Soto crushes a three-run home run, 396 feet in the top of the first inning to left center field. And before the Mets' anemic offense can even get its first crack, uh, they're down 3 nothing. In the rain, the Mets did put one on the board in the bottom of the first inning. Pete Alonso, a uh, two-out double to center field. And then Dom Smith did basically the same thing to bring Alonso home. So the Mets trail 3-1. to one. A leadoff single in the top of the second, and that's when the tarp came out and they did not resume. The game has been suspended, not postponed, suspended. So they will resume this game tomorrow at City Field at 4-10 with a man on first, nobody out, in the top of the second inning with the Nationals leading the Mets 3-1. to They'll finish that game. That will be a nine-inning game, and then they will play tomorrow's scheduled game after that, which now moves to a seven-inning game. And I'm curious about this when I heard that that's what they were doing because growing up, I think we all know that a game needs to become official for it to become Official, if that doesn't make sense. Let me try that again. Has to be five innings for it to become an official game. If rain forces the postponement, cancellation, whatever word you want to use before it becomes an official game, then they just start the game over from scratch. So I'm thinking, wow, the Mets got a huge break here, a break they certainly could use because that would have taken the Juan Soto three-run home run off the board. But no, there are no breaks for the Mets these days. This is on the Major League Baseball website, their rules page regarding the length of a regulation game. Prior to the 2020 season, if a game was terminated early due to weather before becoming official, the results up to the point of termination did not count and the game was started over at a later date. But as part of MLB's health and safety protocols during the COVID-19 pandemic, all games cut short due to weather before becoming official will be resumed at a later date resumed rather than started over from scratch during the 2020 campaign and those rules remain in place here in 2021 so the Mets can't even catch a break there uh they pick things up tomorrow trailing the Nats three to one and they'll have to finish that game they'll play the second game it'll be seven innings they likely lose Carlos Carrasco I would be surprised especially considering he's still working his way back from a lengthy injury I'd be surprised if they threw Carrasco out after throwing. I'm not sure how many pitches he threw tonight, but it was enough, I'm sure, to make a difference. He threw 33 pitches in one-plus innings. He didn't have it anyway. I mean, he gave up the three-run home run to Soto. He gave up a hit to begin the second inning, uh, only recorded three outs and needed 33 pitches to do so. He hasn't been the answer, unfortunately, for the Mets since coming off the injured list. And who has been the answer for the Mets since really the middle of June? I mean, the the, the free fall continues, unfortunately, at City Field. And uh, 
you, you, you consider the fact that on June 16th, the Mets had a record of 35 and 25. They were 10 games above 500. And not only were they 10 games above 500, but they, they, were, they were a gutty team. They were a gritty team. Yeah, they were getting great pitching performances. They were getting just enough hitting. Their terrific starting pitching, led by DeGrom, led by Taiwan Walker, uh, led by Marcus Stroman. The bullpen was fantastic the first two and a half months of the season. I mean, everything was working. The pitching masked a lot of the hitting deficiencies, but the important thing was they were winning games. And as a whole, even though the offensive numbers weren't good, the pitching would keep the Mets in games, and they always seemed to come up with that big late base hit when they needed it. And that's how they got to 10 games above 500. And in the National League East, 10 games above 500, you might as well start popping champagne because that is a feeble, feeble division. But since then, the Mets have gone 21 and 31. Now, that's not mediocre. And and that's an important word to remember as we continue to discuss the Mets throughout the next couple of hours. 21 and 31 isn't mediocre. 21 and 31 is bad. 21 and 31 is like 400 baseball, and that's a 52 game sample size. That's a pretty significant sample size. That's just about a third of a Major League Baseball season. The Mets have been playing 400 baseball. DeGrom has been out since then, and rough basically since then, and obviously the domino effect from there. Taiwan Walker was pitching above his head anyway. When DeGrom moves out of the rotation, Walker has to become an ace. He's not an ace. Marcus Stroman has never done this consistently throughout the course of his career. And look, it's all it's all catching up to the Mets. Without the DeGrom safety blanket or security blanket every five days, the bullpen is extra taxed. They're certainly not pitching the way they did earlier in the season. And, and there's a domino effect. And, and then you have... And there really is something to momentum in sports. And I know that is not popular amongst the analytics community, but to illustrate that point, you need look no further than across town to the Yankees. Because for the majority of the beginning of this season, the Yankees were the team losing, finding ways to lose. The game last night, the game tonight. The games over the weekend against Seattle when the Yankees were trailing 4-1 to in the second inning against the Mariners with Andrew Haney one pitch away from being taken out of the game. And the Yankees hold them at four. They chip away. They find a way to win late. The first two and a half, three months of the season, the Yankees found ways to lose those games. Things started to change right around the All-Star break, although the Yankees still continued to suffer some really devastating defeats. And then, of course, they get the huge shot in the arm at the trade deadline with Anthony Rizzo, with Joey Gallo. And even though Rizzo's out of the lineup right now with COVID-19 or in the COVID-19 protocols, even though Joey Gallo really hasn't been unleashed yet, a big hit here, a big hit there, just their presence has kind of uplifted the entire roster and everybody is playing a little bit better and now they've got momentum and now they're rolling down the hill and now they're winning games like the one last night where they blew a save four different times and still managed to win a ball game the Mets momentum is going the exact opposite way of the Yankees momentum right now and the big question is can they stop it can they do anything to stop it now how did the Yankees stop the momentum because the Mets are not a bad team Yes, they've got hitting problems. They've got injury problems right now. Their best player, the best pitcher in baseball right now, is not available. But they're not a bad team. How can they stop this momentum? Well, short of Jacob DeGrom coming back soon, and that doesn't look like it's going to happen before the month of September, it's going to be very difficult for the Mets to do that. I mean, it's as simple as the guys who they have in the lineup have to perform better. The guys who they have taking the ball every day have to pitch better. Because you know what? The trade deadline has come and gone. And the Mets got Javi Baez, and you know he's had some moments. He's also struck out a ton of times. He's exciting. He's fun to watch. But he's also injured right now. And add him to the long list of Mets who have suffered or are suffering injury issues this season. Baez is day-to-day right now with a hip injury. 
and you just look at the litany of players on the Mets roster who either are on the injured list or have spent time on the injured list this season. McNeil, Lindor, Nimmo, Alonzo, Pilar, Conforto, J.D. Davis. That's the starting lineup. That's basically the starting lineup for the Mets. The only thing as I look at this that they're missing is a catcher. And I guess Baez could probably play catcher in emergency, let alone the pitching staff. DeGrom has been the biggest injury of the year. And as it turns out so far, that has been an injury they have been unable to withstand. DeGrom, Carrasco is just coming back, but he hasn't given them what they need. Noah Syndergaard remains out. David Peterson was pitching well in the beginning of the season. He's gone. Walker spent some time on the injured list. It looked like they could have something with Joey Lucchese. He's now on the injured list. Robert Gazelman, an extra arm on the injured list. So on and on and on. And that's how you get a team over the course of a third of a Major League Baseball season that plays 400 baseball. They are a 500 team right now. They're a game above 500 as we sit here tonight. 56 and 55, losing 3 to 1 in the opener of this series at City Field against Washington, which will be resumed tomorrow afternoon as part of now a doubleheader beginning at 4:10. Out in Kansas City, bottom six, Royals and Yankees tied at four. And Nestor Cortez, the Yankees starter, what is he now, the second starter, the third starter? He probably is the third starter in the rotation. Uh, he's been taken out with two outs in the bottom of the sixth inning after a two-out single. Earlier in the sixth inning, Salvador Perez homered his second homer of the night. Uh, the second one tied the game at four. Cortez pitched pretty well, five and two-thirds, three earned runs. Steven Ridings, a hard-throwing, very good-looking right-handed reliever, is on trying to get the Yankees out of the bottom of the sixth inning. Huge game for the Yankees in respect to the fact that if they win this game, they gain ground on either Boston or Tampa Bay, which means if you continue to gain ground on Boston, you've got a better chance of getting into that top wild card spot in the American League and hosting a wild card game. And if you really want to get nuts, and I don't think it's too nuts, but if you really want to get nuts, you can think about the division title and Tampa Bay and chasing them down because you do play them enough between now and and the end of the regular season. All right, don't miss your chance to see the world's top-ranked PGA Tour players in action when they return to Liberty National Golf Club for the Northern Trust, the first event in golf's season-ending FedEx Cup playoffs held August 18th to the 22nd in Jersey City, New Jersey. Secure your tickets at the northerntrust.com. And be listening to DCR and the Michael K Show this Thursday for your chance to score a pair of tickets and see big names like Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau, and many more. It's going to be the can't-miss event of the summer. So nice to see the FedEx uh, Cup returning to the New York City area. Now, prior to the uh, Mets Nationals game, which again has been suspended, will be resumed tomorrow with Washington leading the Mets 3-1 to with nobody out and a runner on first in the top of the second inning for Washington. But earlier today, uh, Mets acting general manager Zach Scott spoke with the media and addressed his team's uh, Really shoddy play for the last month and a half. My math, by the way, was off. I apologize. Uh, it's been 51 games since the Mets started 35 and 25. So they're 21 and 30 over their last 51 games. That is a 411 winning percentage. And if you want to uh, extend that over the course of a 162 game season, that is a 66 and 96 pace for the Mets. Not exactly what people had in mind midway through June when they were in first place and 10 games above 500. In fact, the Mets sat in first place for 90 consecutive days before dropping back to second place on Friday. They're now in third place, two and a half games out of first, entering play on Tuesday night. Overall, the offense, even when the Mets were playing well, has been the biggest disappointment this season. And Zach Scott was asked why the offense has been struggling. Yeah, that's the tricky thing, right, is figuring out why. I mean, we have, as you mentioned, most of our hitters are underperforming their career norms. You know, part of it, a little part of it is that offense is down across the league, but that's not explaining our situation. And with some guys, you know, as we go through the, as we've gone through the season, we look at different things with each individual. It's an individualized approach. So there's never one simple reason. Sometimes it's the guy's mechanics, getting those on track. Sometimes it's their approach at the plate, what their plan is when they go to the plate. But it can be a lot of different things. So it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly why. 
All right, here's where things get interesting, though, as Zach Scott addressed the media earlier on Tuesday, because I mentioned the the list of players who either are on the injured list or have been on the injured list this season. Uh, DeGrom, Carrasco, Syndergaard, Peterson, Walker, Lucchese, Gazelman, Baez, McNeil, Lindor, Nimmo, Alonzo, Pilar, Conforto, Davis, others and others and others. So uh, the Mets acting GM Zach Scott, look, Injuries have been the bane of Mets fans' existence for years, really for years. Um, misdiagnosis of injuries, um, guys go on the injured list or are said to be day-to-day and, and you don't see them for the next two or three months. This has been happening for years. Look, it's a new regime, sort of. I mean, Sandy Alderson wasn't here the last couple of years. He's back. Zach Scott is now the acting general manager. It's a new manager. It's a new training staff. Um Scott was asked if the franchise, simply put, has systemic issues in dealing with injuries. I don't think there's a systemic issue. Um, we talk through each one of these injuries as they, you know, one, we, we talk through preventative measures. I've been impressed with the performance staff overall. We've been having good conversations since I got here. Um, they are very well educated on, on good pre- preventative methods. Um, and good rehab treatments at you know post injury. I think with some of the soft tissue injuries, you know, again, it's a case by case basis. The reasons, trying to understand why, what, you know, every time there is something, there's always a process of okay, what is there something we could have done differently? What could we have done better? Uh, they're always having that dialogue before injuries as well, because the the key is to try to prevent them. But you know, in some cases, it's you can have the best plan, and and you know, if if, if the plan's not followed you know, that that's not going to, you know, necessarily yield a good result all the time. Well, that's interesting. So what he hinted at, at the end of that statement, you have a plan. And if the plan is not followed, then it's not going to turn out very well. So what's he saying there? Well, well, Zach Scott would defend the Mets medical and performance staff when it came to these soft tissue injuries that have plagued the team throughout the season. And um, according to the GM says the, the players have to share in this as well. And most of the time, I'll be honest, it's compliance issues. In terms of what could have been handled differently in those cases? Compliance, it's like factually following the plan. Gotcha. Because these are all individuals and control their own bodies. And, you know, sometimes they're not uh, as compliant as they should be. And that happens. I've seen that happen in the past. It's, again, going back to the individualized approach. I mean, you got to take ownership of, of your career and your health as well. So... It's really an easy narrative to put it on performance staff or put it on hitting coaches, but it's not. It's that's oversimplified. This is a, a partnership and deal with those groups and the players, and everyone has to be, you know, pulling in the right, the same direction. Wow, I mean, wow, that's a surprising answer on, on several levels. First of all, if true, all right, what what the hell's going on over there? That they're in the middle of a pennant race. They've been sitting in first place for three straight months. They've got a chance to do something special this year, and guys aren't showing up for their their physical therapy or their rehab assignment. What's going on over there? It's compliance issues. Well, fix it. You're the general manager. Where's the GM? Where's the manager? Where's the leadership inside the clubhouse? How can that continue? This is a major league baseball team, and that's if it's true. And if it is true, I frankly also think it's quite bizarre that the general manager would so actively defend the medical staff and the performance staff and kind of throw the players, I shouldn't say kind of, and throw the players under the bus. Now, he didn't name anybody by names, but very surprising the approach that Zach Scott took right there, and he didn't really hesitate. First words out of his mouth, it was compliance. So obviously there's some frustration on the part of the Mets general manager, but who's in charge here? Who can fix this problem? Why is there a compliance problem? Why are guys not showing up for training? I just named you all the names of guys that have been on the injured list throughout the season. This is a golden opportunity to make the playoffs, do something special, Maybe compete for a World Series championship. I'm sorry, do the Mets have a plethora of them that it's not that important to this group this year? And as I've been saying for weeks, if the Mets can somehow find a way into the playoffs, and if they do that, you've got to assume that Jacob DeGrom is going to be a part of that, 
then this is a roster and this is a team that's incredibly well set up to be successful in the postseason. So this isn't about just squeaking in and seeing what happens. Get into the playoffs. Get the best pitcher in baseball healthy and see what happens. I take my chances with that team 10 times out of 10, but you've got to get there first. If DeGrom comes back in the middle of September and the Mets are seven games out, well, then it's too late. And then this whole season was for naught. So what's going on over there? 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe, ESPN New York tonight. Let's go to the phones and start with Ben in Brooklyn. Ben, how you doing? Hey, how are you? I'm good, Ben. How you doing? I'm good, thank God. I've been listening to what you've been saying about the Mets, and you're totally on point. I'm actually coming back from the game right now. They they let us sit there for an extra hour and a half, and then they they called the game over because of rain. And they really just come to show you this is the type of franchise the Mets are. It really is. It's basically it's all par for the course that they can't get their players healthy, they can't figure out what's going on, and this is why they haven't won a championship since 1986, you know what I'm saying? What did they do with you guys? Now, can you go back to the game tomorrow? Is your ticket from tonight good for tomorrow? What did they no, tell you about I, that? I, nah, I bought, I bought my ticket on Vivid Seats. Shout out to Vivid Seats. And uh, and um, now I, it's uh, so you gotta dollars fi- down the drain. So you got to figure it out. Yeah. No, Ben, and thanks for the call. It, look, it's starting to... And you can hear the frustration in our last caller. And I suspect that there's a lot of Mets fans uh, and nothing outside of losing. All right. Uh, nothing brings out the frustration of a fan base than making them sit outside when everybody knows that the game is not going to be played and not postponing the game in a timely manner. And then you're just going home after having spent three hours in the ballpark and having seen one inning of play and compounded by the fact that this team right now is falling apart. And don't look now. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say the honeymoon is over with Steve Cohen, but God, there was just so much goodwill from the moment that he took the reins of this franchise. But the injury thing from the Mets fan perspective is also something that has bugged them to no end forever. And now you're telling me that this is still an issue? I mean, we knew this was an issue. I mean, you could tell that injuries are an issue for this team by the long list of accomplished major league players who have spent time on the injured list this season. But now for the acting general manager to come out and say that, well, part of the reason for these injuries is guys aren't rehabbing properly or they're not taking their care of their rehab enough? That's unbelievable. Overall, and Zach Scott continued with the media prior to today's scheduled game. And again, the Mets, Nats suspended, will resume tomorrow at 4-10 in the top of the second inning. Washington leading 3-1. to A Washington team, by the way, that outside of Juan Soto has given everybody up. So you talk about golden opportunities, and I mentioned one for the Yankees right now in Kansas City. This is a golden opportunity for the Mets. The Nationals are trying to lose. They just traded everybody. But here's Zach Scott before the game on overall his team's performance. Obviously, there's plenty of games left. You know, we're, we have a chance to still compete and win this division. So it's baseball and, you know, being in the game for a long time, as you guys know, that there's always a chance. So you can't get too down or too high when things are going well. That said, we've played very mediocre baseball for most of the year. This recent stretch has been much worse than mediocre. We've taken mediocre at this point. For this uh, stretch, it's been unacceptably bad, and we need to be better. But we're not going to panic because you can't do that in this game. Baseball is a tricky sport in that it's a precision sport, right? So in football, like you can get angry and go hit people harder. You probably do that in some other full-contact sports. You start squeezing the bat too hard or the ball too too tight, tightly, then you know you're probably not going to perform very well. So you got to find that middle ground between a sense of urgency, because you know we only have 50 something games left. So you got to have a sense of urgency, but you can't be so tight that you can't perform up to your ability. That would be another problem if that were to happen. Now the Mets, the Mets would take mediocre right now. I'll tell you that because again, last 51 games, they're 21 and 30. That's a 66 win pace over the course of 162. They're two and eight in their last 10. 
Uh, they're five and thirteen in their last eighteen games, and they've fallen back to third place in the National League East. They're two and a half games behind the Phillies. They're a game behind the Braves. For the season, the Mets are minus 18 in the run def- run differential category. I mean, look, nothing about this team profiles as a playoff team. And all, all of that said, all of that said, they are two and a half games out of first place in the division. And as I just mentioned, because of the pitching, um, because of the potential in the lineup, but mainly because of the pitching in a short series with a guy like Jacob deGrom, um, if they can get into the tournament, get into the dance, you never know what could happen. This is a team that I think could could make a run if they can get into the playoffs. What I actually felt the same way about the Mets last year. Of course, that didn't come to be. So, look, there is time, but there's not a ton of time because, you know what, there's 51 games to go. And I just said what they did their last 51 games. They can't go 21 and 30 again because if you do that, then you're just going to be a losing team. All right, so we had a uh, another satisfied Mets fan weigh in already. Um, ben in Brooklyn on his way home from a soggy city field after sitting out a rain delay, a multiple hour rain delay, only to learn that the game will be suspended, resumed tomorrow as part of a doubleheader beginning at 4 p.m. Nationals lead the Mets three to one. That's where they'll pick it up right there. Uh, the Mets schedule, look, this is, um, this is obviously when you, when you have the opportunity to play a team like Washington, you, you've got to take advantage of this because, all right, let's, let's look ahead because after these next, uh, three games today, tomorrow and Thursday, or now two games tomorrow and Thursday at 1210, you got three against the Dodgers. You got three in San Francisco. You head to L.A. for four against the Dodgers. And you've got three more at home against San Francisco. The two top teams in the National League. Those are the next one, two, three, four, five, six, ten. Those are the next 13 games on your schedule. So you better win this series. Why don't you sweep this series? But it's made more difficult because it's hard to sweep doubleheaders. Especially when you're starting the first game trailing three to one. Look, they're running out of games. You know, DeGrom or no DeGrom, they're running out of games. You can't get into a situation where DeGrom comes back first week of September and you're seven games off the pace. He can't pitch every game. Yankees bullpen having some trouble in the seventh inning. Um, they now trail the Royals 6-4. to four. Jets and Giants preseason opener on Saturday. Uh, Check in from Rich Samini, who covers the Jets at Jets Camp on Tuesday. Uh, Zach Wilson had another shaky practice. He went 10 for 17. He was sacked six times, and he threw an interception. But according to Samini, he hasn't let it affect him. Uh, Robert Sala saying that he's awesome. He asks questions. He's in the defensive coordinator's office asking questions about coverages. He's an absolute sponge. The kid is going to be fine. Now, Wilson's struggles at practice, because that's all we have to go by, are obviously a uh, topic of conversation. But according to his head coach, he doesn't really care about the noise. Now, I've been noticing for weeks and commenting for weeks that the the amount of optimism coming out of the Jets camp is both A, refreshing, and uh, B, unusual. But I also thought it was warranted. But... It all goes up in smoke, right? It all goes up in smoke if your quarterback is not up to the task. Now, there's going to be a long runway for this kid. I mean, just think about this, right? We were looking at uh, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, the top two picks in the draft, and the Royals now lead the Yankees 7-4. Trevor Lawrence basically, as the quarterback of Clemson, playing in national championship games, playing on prime time every single week. Trevor Lawrence basically was a professional quarterback for his last three years. Zach Wilson at BYU, here's who he played last year. Navy, Troy, Louisiana Tech, the University of Texas at San Antonio, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise State, North Alabama, Coastal Carolina, San Diego State, and Central Florida, who he destroyed uh, in the Boca Raton Bowl, 49-23. to All right? Um, he's going to need some time. 
and and he's got some time. So I I personally think all of the, look this again. This is all you have to go by right now. What he's doing in practice right now. We we've never seen him in a game. There's no body of work. There's nothing to compare him to last season. But on the other end, on the other hand, have the Jets, the Jets organization, and we just talked about the Mets organization at, at length. And I know it's different people in different spots, but it's still the culture of the organization. Well, no organization has a stronger culture and and culture can go different ways than the Jets do. And we know what the Jets culture has been. So has the Jets organization done anything at any point in recent time to give you confidence that this is much ado about nothing? And that's what you're concerned about because we just went through this for three years with Sam Darnold. And I got to be honest with you. I was excited when the Jets got Sam Darnold. I remember in 2018 calling for the Giants to pick Sam Darnold at the number two pick because I thought that was the best move for them. The Jets, I thought, got a gift from heaven by having Darnold fall to them at number three. He never really looked right. And I just remember sitting here the same time of year, the late summer during training camp of 2018, saying, yeah, Darnold doesn't look great, but... Give him time. He's a rookie. He's going to be fine. And everybody was saying basically the same thing. And look what happened. And look, you can blame who you want for the Sam Darnold era, all right? But Sam Darnold deserves a portion of that blame, whether it's 30%, whether it's 50%, whether it's 15%, whether it's 70% of the blame. That's up to you. But he deserves the blame. So here we go again. Now you've got... All of this optimism surrounding the Jets. And the biggest reason for the optimism is the quarterback, Zach Wilson. He's supposed to be the anti-Sam Darnold. He's embracing New York City. He's embracing the spotlight. He was as excited as anyone when he heard his name called by Roger Goodell on draft night, hugging people on his way up to the stage. Yankees get out of the seventh. They trail the Royals 7-4, to four, heading to the eighth. Well, Steve Young was a guest on Greeny on ESPN Radio this week, uh, speaking about not just Wilson, but Trevor Lawrence as well, who, as we know, is down in Jacksonville as the new quarterback for the Jaguars. And Steve Young is high on both of these rookie QBs. The thing is, is I don't think either of them will hold back any kind of improvement that the Jaguars and the Jets are ready to make. That's a big statement because a lot of quarterbacks are not capable of staying out of the way. And they could be transformational quarterbacks like in five or six years, you go, oh my gosh, both of these guys are the best of their generation. And that's very possible. And it's exciting, I think. And, and there's many people, as you know, in the offseason that spent the time really researching scouts especially coaches who had done the work and said, you know what, I'm not sure that I wouldn't take Zach over Trevor. That's not anything against Trevor. Mm-hmm. It's just saying something about Zach, I think, because Zach came out of nowhere one year. They tell him one year winner at BYU, but I think that's the player, transformational player that he can be. Huge, huge statement from, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback right there in Steve Young. So we'll see. I think the Jets have done everything right to get Zach Wilson to this point. Okay? They – change their approach. So when you say, well, how can it be different from when Sam Darnold was here? It is different because they've changed their approach. They learned their lessons, I think, the front office did, and it's a different front office from how they built the team around Sam Darnold, focusing on the offensive line, more offensive skill weapons. They could still use a ton more. We don't know who the starting running back is going to be, but you start with the offensive line. I do think that the skill position players um, – Those that were here before have the ability to improve. Elijah Moore is a nice new addition. Um, And then the defense, I think, is as good as it's been in the last four years. And that's certainly going to help a young quarterback as well, just taking some of the pressure off of him. So the way the Jets have built this franchise is completely different than how they built it in 2018 around Sam Darnold. Is it going to be enough? Uh, Enough for what? That's It depends on what you consider enough. I mean, are they going to win more than two games? They better. I mean, that's really the only expectation I'll hang on this team right now. And that's the the nice thing about the position Zach Wilson finds himself in right now. Win five games. Go 5-11. and 11. Go 6-10. and 10. Joe Judge came in last year, went 6-10, and 10, and people were throwing parades for him down the Canyon of Heroes. How he got robbed out of a playoff spot because Doug Peterson put in Sudfeld in the fourth quarter of the last game of the season. 
They won 6-10, and ten, and look how excited everybody was about Joe Judge. So the expectations are not there, but the one guy, all right, here's the one piece that could screw everything up. Like I said, I like what Joe Douglas did. The offensive line, he looks like he's got that in a good place. The skill positions definitely improved. The defense definitely improved. The one thing that could topple this whole house of cards is if the quarterback actually turns out to be not that good. Because in addition to being the quarterback, Joe Douglas could have very easily kept Sam Darnold and used that pick to build up other parts of the roster at the top of the draft. And he decided to clean house, go with his own guy, and by doing that, that means to me that Zach Wilson has to be significantly not just a little bit, Zach Wilson has to be significantly better than Sam Darnold. Not in year one, maybe not necessarily in year two, although by year two you definitely want to start seeing some signs. But because Joe Douglas moved on from Sam Darnold as he did and drafted Zach Wilson, Zach has to be significantly better than Sam Darnold. And all that being said, I think his first few practices are nothing to get alarmed about, but at the end of the day... It's on him now because everything I can tell, they've put the pieces around him where he should be able to succeed if he is the real deal. Pat O'Keefe in for Larry and Gordon. We heard Larry earlier on Carlin. Tuesday night, let's reset you real quick before we get back to our football conversation. Uh, the Mets game at City Field started. Juan Soto hit a three-run home run in the top of the first inning. Uh, and then in the top of the second inning, the tarp came out onto the field with the Mets trailing 3-1, to one, and they did not resume. However, because of the new rules in, terms, in, in light of the uh, COVID-19 restrictions, games that do not go a full five innings are, are no longer started over from scratch. They are just suspended and resumed at a later date. In this case, the Mets-Nationals game will be resumed tomorrow at 4-10 Eastern time at uh, City Field with the Nats leading 3-1, to one, a runner on first, nobody out top of the second inning. It'll be a doubleheader as it turns out. They'll finish game one. That'll be a full nine innings. And then Wednesday's regularly scheduled game will follow, and that will now be seven innings. Yankees looking for their second straight win in Kansas City. They trailed the Royals 7-4 to four with one man out in the bottom of the eighth inning. Yankees' bullpen had a tough night. Uh, they have uh, the one more opportunity in the top of the ninth coming up. Uh, 1-800-919-3776. We'll uh, touch on the Giants in a little bit. Uh, let's go back to the phones, though, and check in with Mike in Queens. Mike, how you doing tonight? Good evening, Pat. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing fine. You're doing an amazing job. I think we should keep you on primarily at 10 o'clock. I think you should stay. But uh, the Jets. Now, Robert Sala is the anti-Adam Gase. Adam Gase had a system. If you don't fit into the system, he doesn't play you. Uh, the tight ends we saw, I forget his name, the guy, and the running back, Le'Veon Bell. Robert Sala, I believe, is more flexible. I, I believe he actually uses his players more. And you saw last year with 49 as a team that was ravaged by injuries, still had a pretty good defense. Now, obviously, this is the Jets. They don't have the pass rushes they do. And that goes to my point. The Jets now in a 4-3, Robert Sala... It just used to be in a 3-4, and you know the 4-3, you need a, you know, an edge rusher. The Jets have not had one since, since the gas lines, way, way before my time. Uh, they brought in this guy Lawson, who had, what, five and a half sacks last year, a lot of presses, but he does not finish. And that's key. You have to finish the sack. Uh, you know, he, he talked about that, how he has to finish. Uh, the Jets have also, but, you know, Robert Tyler could move the guys from the defensive end to the defensive tackle. He, he, he could move guys around, but... I'm sure he'll be in, in, in the lab trying to fix this, you know, because he needs a pass rush. But at, at, at the end of the day, uh, they don't have a true edge rusher. So I know he'll get as much, he'll get as much blood out of the rock as he can. As we saw last year, he, he does adjust, does maximize his talent. But if you don't have the horses, how much can he do? I'm sure the, the defense will be as good as it can be. But, but, but we saw last year, there's no DB, uh, there's no cornerback. Uh, so I know he'll try his best. Uh, but at the, end, at the end of the day, no edge rusher, no cornerback. He's in for a tough task, a tough task. He has to dig in because he doesn't have that many horses to help him on, on the field of play. Yeah, Mike, that's that's a good point. Thanks for the call. I mean, and, and that's why 
that's why they hired Robert Sala to do this job. And forgive the cliche, but that's why they pay him the big bucks. Because here's the deal. At the top of the draft, there's only certain positions who you you need to shop for at the top of the draft. One of them, obviously, is quarterback. If you find your franchise quarterback, your quarterback of the future at the top of the draft, you have an opportunity to take him. You do that, okay? Edge rusher and a top-flight offensive lineman also at the top of the draft. So where did the Jets prioritize things this season? Well, they looked at their situation. They realized they wanted to go in a different direction at quarterback. They identified Zach Wilson as their guy, and that was their number one target. So because Zach Wilson became their number one target, then every move or most of their moves in the draft uh, and free agency subsequently became about putting him in the best possible situation. It's a new regime. I mean, Joe Douglas is still early in his regime. Obviously, Robert Sala with his defensive pedigree, and he did do a really good job last year in San Francisco. Remember that Giants game alone in Week 2 or Week 3, whenever it was, when four Giants or four 49ers uh, got injured on the turf at MetLife Stadium, and they made a big deal about that. I mean, they had to play virtually their entire season last year with backups and backups to backups in San Francisco last year, and Robert Sala did do a job. And he's going to have to do that this year as well. They prioritized Zach Wilson getting his feet under him, getting him up and running as this team's franchise quarterback, providing him with some offensive weapons, putting an offensive line in front of him in time. Hopefully that part of the plan works. And then in time, you can focus on improving your talent on the defensive side of the ball with an edge rusher, with whatever else you need. But Robert Sala is going to have to carry the water on defense this year. It's not that different from what Tom Thibodeau had to do in year one for the Knicks. I mean, think about it. Knicks fans... And it's funny, I've been comparing the Knicks and the Jets situations for years. Uh, The Knicks certainly separated themselves this past year because they got an excellent head coach. Now, did the Jets do the same thing? I don't know. I mean, Thibodeau's a guy who came in with a track record. Salah has a track record as a defensive coordinator. We'll see how he does as a head coach. But the Knicks roster this past season was basically the same roster that went 21 and 45 the year before. I mean, think about it. For the majority of this past season, when the Knicks were the number four seed in the Eastern Conference, who was their starting five? Alfred Payton, he was on the team the year before. Reggie Bullock, team the year before. RJ Barrett, he was here the year before. Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, they were all here the year before. All right? So, what was the biggest difference? that they went from 21-45 and 45 to 41-31. and 31. What do you think was the biggest difference? It was the head coach. Now, a head coach can only take you so far. Our last caller's point is a good one, all right? At a certain point, you do need to increase the talent on both sides of the football, but you can't do it all at once. And the Jets, because they identified and drafted Zach Wilson, chose to prioritize the offensive side of the ball, which, by the way, was something they never did for Sam Darnold. And again, a good sign that they're changing their approach because the last approach didn't work. But the defense was already further along than the offense anyway. I mean, Greg Williams two years ago did not a good job. The first year with Adam Gase, Greg Williams did a great job, I thought. That first year that he was here with Adam Gase, The Jets' defense was really good. I mean, their offense was beyond pathetic. But their defense kept them in a lot of games and won a few games for them, too. And then at the end of the season, Sam Darnold came back, and he threw up a couple of good performances, and the Jets found a soft spot in their schedule, and that's how you get to 7-9. and But two years ago, which isn't that far ago, that long ago, the Jets' defense under Greg Williams was pretty good. You know, they've never been able to unleash C.J. Mosley. You know, 2019, he plays the first game against Buffalo. He injures himself. We never see him again. He sits out last season. You know, you got Marcus May. He's an established veteran safety. We'll see what the defensive line can do. But it's going to fall largely on the shoulders, the broad shoulders, if I may, of Robert Sala. That's what he's here for, all right? Let the talent... All right. On the offensive line, the quarterback, 
the skill position players. Let the talent that you brought in carry the offense. You're at least a year away from that on the defense. But this is what it is like to build a program. 1-800-919-3776. Yanks lose in Kansas City 8-4. to Just one final. So uh, the Yankees uh, miss an opportunity to gain some ground on the Boston Red Sox, who lost at home 8-4 to to Tampa Bay. So the Yankees will try to avoid losing the series tomorrow in Kansas City, the rubber match. I mean, the Yankees have done a more than admirable job. And by the way, after tomorrow's game, they head to Iowa for that Field of Dreams game on Thursday, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. And uh, that'll be a pretty cool scene out there on, on Thursday night. Yankees White Sox from the cornfields of Iowa. But the Yankees have done a more than admirable job of holding down the fort after their slow start. And not only... Um, treading water, but getting back into the pennant race. And, and of course, the injuries are, are now adding up and mounting, and we spoke about this about the Mets last hour, but the Yankees essentially have an entire starting pitching rotation on the injured list right now with Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery, Domingo Herman, Corey Kluber, and uh, Luis Severino. That's that's if you If that's your pitching rotation, you've got one of the best 10 rotations, one of the best five pitching rotations in Major League Baseball. All of those guys are on the injured list right now. Gio Urshela is still out. Gary Sanchez is still out. Uh, now Glaber Torres is out. Guys in the bullpen are out, have been out. But when you get off to the slow start that the Yankees did this season and you play not even mediocre baseball, but subpar baseball for the first two, two and a half months of the season, and you lose some of the games the Yankees have lost this season, that later in the season eliminates your margin for error. So yeah, you can say, well, the Yankees are depleted. They had to start Nestor Cortez tonight. He's more of a spot starter. He did all he could. They're a little shorthanded out of the bullpen. Yeah, all of that's true, but unfortunately... These are the games you've got to win right now because you did not win these games earlier in the season. And now you fall another game behind Tampa Bay for first place in the American League East, and you miss out on an opportunity to gain ground on the Red Sox. Look, you're not going to win every game, but a game against the Kansas City Royals is a game that you've got to circle on your calendar that you have to take advantage of. Similarly, the Mets, this three-game series with Washington that did not get off on the right foot as Washington leads the Mets 3-1 to in the rain-suspended game that will resume on Wednesday afternoon. All right, 1-800-919-3776. Giants-Jets, first preseason game on Saturday night, MetLife Stadium. Uh, feels a little like old times. We didn't have preseason at all last year. A shortened preseason this season because of the 17-game uh, regular season schedule now. For the Giants, it's simple. The Giants, it's been long enough. You can only pick at or near the top of the draft so many times before you're expected to actually, I don't know, what's the word they call it? Win. Okay? The Giants need to win, and they need to win their division. The expectations for the Giants should be nothing short of winning the NFC East this year. And I don't think it's a Herculean task. I'm not sitting here and saying that the Jets need to win the AFC East this year. That would be silly. But saying the Giants should win the NFC East this year, it's year number three for their quarterback. They have more skill position players than you could want if they all play up to their potential. The defense, especially the defensive coordinator, who was the star of the defense last year, Patrick Graham, was the best part of the team a season ago. The culture changed. You started to see uh, the tide turning, and you could really see it from week one last season. And even though early on the Giants weren't winning games and they were chasing 500 the entire season and they ended up at 6-10, and 10, the Giants were competitive pretty much each and every game. And that's what you got sick and tired of the previous two seasons under Pat Shermer. Not only were the Giants losing 75% of their games, but they were non-competitive games. Last year, starting with week one against Pittsburgh, Monday Night Football, Giants played really well in that game. They played they played really well throughout the course of the season. And unfortunately for the Giants, as they were starting to turn a corner, and more specifically, as their quarterback 
in my eyes, was starting to turn a corner in that Cincinnati game late last season, Daniel Jones sprained his ankle. And then he missed a game, and then he came back too soon and didn't play well for two games, and then he missed another game. And unfortunately, that was it. Then he came back his last game, and to be honest, it it wouldn't have been too late if Philadelphia, I think, played it out and kept Jalen Hurts in that last game against Washington. But, you know, when you're 6-10, and you can't exactly call out people for tanking or for destroying the integrity of the game. So the expectation for the Giants this year has to be to win the division. Like, no more progress. You've picked sixth. You've picked second. You've picked fourth. You've picked ninth. You've picked 11th. I mean, you've picked all over the top of the draft in recent years. You got your quarterback, your franchise quarterback. You got your left tackle, or at least who you hope is your left tackle. You got your running back, who's going to wear the gold jacket in Canton. You've got the defense fortified, thanks to some shrewd free agent signings and the defensive coordinator. You got to win, and you. by the way, you're not in a good division. I mean, Dallas, it's the same story every year. You know, you're going to come out with the preseason NFL power rankings on ESPN.com any day. And Dallas is going to be like fifth, which is a joke because they're fifth every year. And then they don't make the playoffs. And the difference for Dallas this year is their quarterback is coming off a gruesome ankle injury. The team that scares me if I'm the Giants in the NFC East is Washington. I mean, you talk about putting your draft picks together. I mean, their entire defensive line is first-round draft picks. They have a scary defense, Washington. They almost beat they almost beat Tampa Bay in the first round of the playoffs last season. So that's the team to me that you got to watch out for, but the Giants have a much better offense than them. The Giants have all the pieces in place that they should win the division this season. All right, so Jordan Renan, who covers the Giants for ESPN, was out at Giants uh, training camp on Tuesday. Saquon Barkley, according to Jordan, looked fine again. Limited work for Saquon. Look, all indications are, and they're obviously taking it slow because why wouldn't you? But it seems to me that it's a distinct possibility that Saquon Barkley could be in the lineup and carrying the football week one, which would be a huge lift for this team. Because with all the good feelings of last season and Joe Judge changing the culture and the Giants playing meaningful games in December, remember, they did that all without, by far, their best and most talented player. Strong practices by uh, Adoree Jackson, Darnay Holmes, each one of them with an interception on Tuesday. Um, Shane Lemieux, who has a knee injury, was out there. This is the most that he's done since suffering his injury. So, Some good things coming out of Giants training camp on Tuesday. But look, Barkley's the headliner because last year they almost made it into the playoffs without him. I mean, he was gone for the season in week two. So let's hear from Jordan Renan. He was with Bob Wischusen on ESPN Radio earlier today. How's Barkley doing? Well, pretty good. He was back on the field again today, right? That's really the thing. It's not, okay, can he get out on the field? It's how does he feel afterward? And Joe Judge said it was very encouraging, was really encouraging. When you get on the field and your knee holds up well and feels fine the next day, I mean, look, he's not running through 11-11 drills. He's not running live drills or any kind of contact at this point. But this is just a step of the progression, right? And, and as Joe Judge even said, he called it an extension of his rehab. But, hey, this is a step in the right direction. So uh, I spoke to bunch of people and they said to me you know he really kind of needs to be back by the cleveland joint practices in order for the timeline to be that he could be back for week one well guess what the cleveland joint practices are like 10 days after the early return so you have to view that as being an optimistic result so that's a great sign right there i mean a great sign right there that they could have saquon barkley back because your wide receiving core is intact. Um, you know, Evan Ingram, as frustrating and maddening as he can be with the drops, especially in big spots, is still an above-average pass-catching tight end. So the biggest questions are, can Barkley be the Saquon Barkley of his rookie season and the offensive line, of course? The offensive line's going to continue to be a question until it puts those questions to bed. Now, the offensive line last season was significantly better the second half of the season than it was in the first half. Speaking of the offensive line, Damian Woody, 
ESPN broadcaster, former offensive lineman, speaking about what approach the Giants should take with Saquon Barkley in the preseason. Well, I wouldn't play Barkley in any preseason game because the goal to me is to get to week one. I think Saquon Barkley is just so pivotal for the team's success, especially to Daniel Jones. And the numbers buried out. Daniel Jones it plays at a much higher level when Saquon Barkley is behind him at the running back position because he's so multifaceted, whether it be running the football, catching the ball out of the backfield. He's just one of those rare three-down backs that we that's coming to this league you know, over the years. And, and like I said, with Joe Judge, I wouldn't risk injury playing him in a preseason game. I would, you know, get his workload in in practice, but wait until week one to unleash him. Shocked, beyond shocked, if Saquon Barkley is anywhere near the playing field during any of the Giants' three preseason games. Uh, Chris Canty, former Giant, uh, DCR here on 98.7 ESPN New York, on the Michael K Show today. Canty thinks Barkley's going to be just fine for the start of the season. Why would you activate him off of the pup list when you've got a month of practices left to go before the regular season opener? Like, to me, there's so much time in there. I mean, you're going to have him in there getting hit in practice against the the Giants defense. Now, granted, those guys aren't going to be taking shots at him. Everybody knows that it's number 26. Like, he's one of your franchise players, one of the faces of the NFL. But at the same time, like, he's going to get some tread on his thighs. There's going to be some wear and tear. It's training camp. These are physical practices. and, And judging from the accounts that we're hearing about your head coach's practice like I I can understand you know like Saquon Barkley is going to be tested I guess my whole point is why would you put him through all of these practices throughout the preseason if you're not going to play him week one in the regular season that just doesn't make any sense so you listen to Jordan Renan you listen to Chris Canty all signs or those signs anyway point to Saquon Barkley being ready to go week one for the Giants but This, as important as he is, it it all comes down to Daniel Jones because this is his third season. And whereas earlier I said that, you know, Zach Wilson's going to have a long runway and patience is going to be required and expected of the young Jets rookie quarterback, we're beyond that with Daniel Jones. I mean, it goes fast. You know, he's coming up on a rookie extension pretty soon after this season. And it is time to take this team to the postseason. And like I said, I thought he was trending in the right direction last year before he got hurt Cincinnati in uh, the Giants' 11th game of the year. I mean, he started out, look, the story of Daniel Jones's season last year was he'd play okay and then he'd make that one or two crucial mistakes to cost you a game. He did it against Pittsburgh. Uh, he did it against Chicago last year. He did it against the Rams, gave the Giants a chance to win, but then made the uh, turnover at the end of the game. And then there was that Monday night game against Tampa Bay where the Giants uh, got hosed on a late pass interference call that wasn't made, attempting a two-point conversion. And that's where I thought Jones really started to turn the corner. And again, in that game, he had two costly interceptions, but still battled back to lead the Giants on a potential game-winning drive in which they scored a touchdown but were unable to convert the two-point conversion. And then they beat Washington, and then they beat Philadelphia, and that was probably Daniel Jones's what, his biggest win of his career. And now all of a sudden you're on a two-game winning streak and you go into Cincinnati trying to get back into the division race. His numbers that day before he got injured, 16 out of 27 for 213 yards. Solid but not spectacular. He was using his legs 19 yards on the ground. He had 64 yards on the ground against Philadelphia. Look, Daniel Jones is a different type of quarterback, and we still haven't seen him at his peak performance for a consistent period of time. But I saw something in that Washington game, in that Tampa game last year, that bled into Washington where they won, that bled into Philadelphia where Jones ran for 64 yards and a touchdown and the Giants won. And then it bled into Cincinnati and then he got injured. And then the Giants defense came up with that great performance last year in Seattle with Colt McCoy as the starting quarterback. And now all of a sudden they're on a four-game winning streak needing to win at home against Arizona. And they rush Daniel Jones back. And Daniel Jones, without his mobility, 
is less than an average quarterback. And then, of course, he sat out the following week against Cleveland. He was bad against Baltimore. And then by the time they got to Week 17, still a must-win game, but by the time they got to Week 17 against Dallas, he ended the season on a high note. But Daniel Jones is the key to this whole thing. I mean, this is... I've asked several people this who cover the team or around the team all the time. It's make or break for Daniel Jones. You don't get five, six years anymore. You know, Ryan Tannehill, and it doesn't mean your career's over. It just means your career's over with the team that drafted you. Ryan Tannehill's the greatest example. And, of course, he was playing for Adam Gase, so we should give him a little bit of leeway. But when Ryan Tannehill, I think, was the eighth pick of the Miami Dolphins, he was 6-10, and 7-9, 8-8, every single year. He was never awful enough that you're like, oh, we got to move on from this guy. But he never got you where you wanted to be. And they finally gave up on him, and he's thriving now in Tennessee. But that doesn't do the Giants fans any good if the same scenario plays out for Daniel Jones. They want to see Daniel Jones thrive here in New York with the Giants, leading them to division championships. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.